pose a hypothetical situation for you this morning. Entirely hypothetical, this is one of those things where, you know, the, the TV shows at the very end, they give you that little caveat that says that all the characters are fictional, right? Any relationship or any similarity with any real characters, real people or real events, it's purely coincidental. Okay, so hypothetical situation. You guys all got that? This entirely hypothetical. I got a head nod, so that's good. I was hoping for maybe an amen or something like that, but I just need to know that you're on the same page, and we are talking hypothetical, all right? So hypothetical situation number one, large church, okay? Large church, and we have this goal, this 10-year target that I've talked about in this worship series, 5,000 people that we want to see worshiping together on a Sunday morning across our Divine Savior campuses, which is five right now. could be six by that time, 10 years out from now, maybe even seven. 5,000 people across all those campuses. This church, that's what they see every single weekend. 5,000 people in worship. And so the pastor gets up and, and he delivers his sermon message and it's heard by those 5,000 people. And of course, they live stream it to, you know, a couple thousand more people. And then his messages, they get posted on their YouTube channel and their YouTube channel has 4,200 or so subscribers to it. Their, their Facebook page has 1,600 followers. Again, completely hypothetical situation. And I want you to picture a member in that church. And she's able to devote over 25 hours of her time every single week voluntarily to the church's ministry. She oversees their children's ministry program, which means she's helping to organize over 60 volunteers every single Sunday so they can serve 800 kids in their children's ministry and there's another member of that church. He just recently quit his job so that he could fly to Nepal and do mission work. Okay? So again, still, still hypothetical. I want you to picture another church. Smaller. 132 members. Still hypothetical. They average about 67 people a week in worship. And so that pastor, he gets up and he shares his message with those 60 to 70 people who have gathered in the chairs. And then, you know, it, it, it live stream to about 10 or, or 15 other people that are watching online. And they, those sermons, they get posted to their YouTube channel that has... 62 subscribers, and their Facebook page has 254 followers. There's a member in, in that church, too, and she serves in the children's ministry. She teaches a classroom of six to eight children each week. And there's a, another member. He serves on the, the leadership team, but he really struggles to find the time for it with the activities and the events that his children are involved in and the obligations of his work and his job. And sometimes he wonders if he's really making that big of a kingdom impact. All hypothetical. 
But of those hypothetical people that I just shared with you, which of them would be following Jesus' commission to go and make disciples? Which one of them would be obeying this command that our Lord and Savior has given to us? Who among them serves God better or best? Go and make disciples of all nations is what Jesus says to us. That's the mission. We've talked about how this is your mission and this is my mission. It's the church's mission, divine savior church's mission. But I think when it comes to this mission, there are some myths that we tend to believe. Does anyone know who these two guys are? See that? There we go. All right. Uh, remember that show Mythbusters? Anyone ever watched that show Mythbusters? Uh, actually ran for about 15 years, from 2003 to 2018. And Adam Savage and Jamie Heineman, they would take questions that people had, myths, urban legends, and they would put them to the test. And they would see if they would stand up to those tests or if they could bust the myths. When it comes to Jesus' mission, there are some myths that we need to bust. Now, myth number one is that sometimes we think that Jesus' mission is for pastors. It's for church workers. It's for those called to serve in a public ministry position. It's Jesus' mission is for religious professionals. That's myth number one. Jesus' mission is for religious professionals. Myth number two that we sometimes tend to believe is that mission work is always far away. You know, Jesus says, go and make disciples of all nations. It sounds far away to me. And so we don't think that Jesus' mission could start with my family, with, with my home, with, with my work environment, with my community. That's myth number two. And myth number three is that when Jesus gives us this mission, we re reduce it and we limit it, and we think that Jesus is only speaking of personal evangelism. And we limit Jesus' mission just to personal evangelism alone. But those myths make you miss so much. If we believe those myths, it's going to keep us from finding joy in all of our work and all of our service. It's going to make us miss the incredible purpose with which Jesus has imbued your life. If we 
listen to those myths. If we believe those myths, we will disobey Jesus' command that he gives to us. And if we believe those myths, it makes us miss how your vocation makes you a part of Jesus' mission in a very unique and a very special way. Vocation is kind of a big churchy word. What is your vocation? Maybe we get in our minds, we think about uh, vocational schools and education and, and vocational trades, and that, and that gets a picture into our minds of, of skill sets and, and different trades that are out there. But that's not the full theological and biblical picture when we use this word vocation. Biblically and theologically, vocation is something else. Your callings are your vocation. Vocation allows you to make this realization in your life that you don't need to separate the secular from the sacred in your own life and that you shouldn't. You shouldn't make a division there. Vocation is about your whole life, not just one piece but that the entire life that you live, it is connected to Jesus. It is about how you can serve God and worship him and be all in on his mission. A one seminary professor defined vocation this way. He said, my vocation is more than the sum of the various job titles that I hold, or even the sum of all the different roles I'm called upon to play throughout the week. We could all define vocation as the entire web of relationships in which at God's direction I am enmeshed at any given moment. So notice that your vocation is a gift given to you by God. And it's in the moment. It's about right now. It's about the life that you're living now and the people that surround you now. And so to recognize vocation in a biblical and a theological sense is to live your life in such a way that you orient yourself to all the people who surround you. It's constructed of all the different roles and all the different relationships that you have. And if you miss the impact that vocation has on your life, it leads to frustration and it can lead to laziness. If you miss this idea of vocation, you might get frustrated because you don't feel that there are missional opportunities that are in front of you. That you don't have those chances to be all in on Jesus' mission. If you believe the myth that Jesus' mission is limited to just personal evangelism, you might get frustrated because you haven't found success or confidence in your own witnessing. Missing vocation when it comes to Jesus' mission can also lead to laziness. 
Because if missions are always far away, then you can convince yourself that there aren't missional opportunities right in front of you. And if Jesus' mission is limited to just personal evangelism, then you can convince yourself that you are exempt because that's not a skill that you possess. And you might even convince yourself that you, somehow you, could change the power that the gospel has. But when it comes to Jesus' words, we have to understand that Jesus' words here, they are not optional. This is a command from our Savior. It is a loving, invitational, and gospel-motivated, but it is still a command. A command that he wants all of us to follow. And so if we miss seeing how our vocations are a part of this, we, we miss the, the valuable impact they make that helps us to realize how we can carry out Christ's beautiful and amazing mission. Isn't it joyful to think how God delights to carry out his mission through living people? Through you and me? That God does what he wouldn't need to do, but he chooses us in our vocations to carry forth his mission and his work. And that as he chooses us in our vocations, in our callings, the different roles, the different relationships that we have, God is able to reach so many different people because each of us, our vocation is different. Our relationships are different. Now, Jesus, when he gives this command, he isn't on a furious, passionate rant. He isn't telling you that you aren't doing enough. But Jesus does say, go. And go is a word of intention. Go is a word of action. But you notice that go is also a very broad word. Oh, Jesus, he didn't say preach and make disciples. He didn't say plant a church and make disciples. He didn't say quit your job and start a nonprofit and then make disciples. He just said, go. Go in your calling, your vocation, your place in life. Go with intention. Go is not a bar that is set so high that we are going to think that we will constantly fall short and constantly fail. Well, go gives direction to our lives. Go brings you incredible purpose. And so go is doable in your vocation. And Jesus himself knows what it's like to go. And Jesus knows what it means to obey such a command. Because Jesus obeyed the command, go, that came from his 
Heavenly Father. When this world was in deep distress, when we were shackled to the dreaded fate that sinfulness brings, God, the Heavenly Father, he came to his one and only Son and he said, Go. Go and serve those people who have wandered so far away from our truth. Go and and live the life of holiness and righteousness that they have abandoned. Go and teach them that there is a kingdom that is coming, a kingdom that is full of mercy and forgiveness into which I freely invite them. Go and walk a path that will take you all the way to a wooden cross. And you will feel the searing, unbearable pain. And you will take on my just wrath over all their disobedience, but go and do it because then, then that searing pain my just wrath, it won't fall on them. Go and suffer the death that they deserve. Go and rise victorious over that grave. And through your resurrection, declare to them that the gates of heaven are opened for them. Go in your vocation as Savior. You see, Jesus' greatest calling is as our Savior. Not yours. Which means that you don't have to save yourself. You don't have to be the Savior for others. But rather, you can use your Savior's love and his obedience to go and serve for you. You can use that to motivate your own heart to live and serve and love God and love your neighbor in your vocation and carry out Jesus' mission. And so, dear friends, let's celebrate how God, by his grace, he is pleased in that, he is pleased when we live out our vocation. That God has gifted you with many callings. Wife, husband, son, daughter, brother, sister, mother, father, CEO, construction worker, child, athlete, supervisor, first responder, and, and you fill in the blanks citizen, friend, neighbor. You fill in the blanks, Christ and his mission, he changes every single one of those roles that you fill. It is no longer just a role that you fill. It is no longer just a job that you perform, but it is a calling in which you are able to serve your God and love your neighbor and carry forth Christ's mission. You have been blessed with opportunities to go. You have been blessed with a tremendous 
purpose and opportunities to disciple. Your vocation allows you to serve neighbor, family, friends, even your enemies in love. And it allows your light to shine. And it might also allow for you to give a reason for the hope that you profess. Consider the historical context of Jesus' words here when he spoke to his disciples. You know, Jesus said, go up on that mountain in Galilee and those disciples who were not religious professionals, they would become leaders in the church. They, They would help to grow the early church, but they were fishermen and tax collectors and brothers and sons. And when Jesus said, go up on this mountain in Galilee, they could look down and they could see the villages below them. For some of them, their old neighborhoods where they grew up. And and they could think about their families, their friends, their neighbors. And they didn't need to go to Jerusalem or even the world yet because they had people right in front of them to disciple, to share God's word with, to love. The mission started right there. Among the early Christian church, there were mothers and fathers, sons and daughters, lawyers, doctors, tent makers, governors, soldiers, centurions, And God used all of them in their vocations to carry forth his mission. And so, dear friends, as you take inventory of your own vocation, as you think about the different relationships that exist for you, go and make disciples. Jesus' mission begins right here. Wherever here is for you in your vocation, Jesus' mission begins right here. Serve and love your neighbor. It begins in your home and in your family. Husband, as you love the wife, your wife as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, you disciple yourself and your wife. And wife, as you respect and honor your husband as Christ, as the church respects Christ and follows Christ, you disciple yourself and your husband. Moms and dads, you have such a high and holy calling to disciple your children to share with them their awesome God and their beautiful Savior, Jesus. And it begins with you. Don't think that that is merely the work of religious professionals. The church, our church, of course, we will come alongside of you and we will support you and encourage you. But it begins with you. 
as you disciple your children. It begins right here. Part of your vocation is as a member of Divine Savior Church. And so you can serve and, and you can work in gospel ministry as you support this church. And whether that means setting up chairs, plugging in cords for the AV equipment, baking a coffee cake so that we can enjoy it for fellowship after worship, serving in DS Kids, being on the leadership team, encouraging one another. You are carrying forth Jesus' mission. Has Jesus allowed you to be generous in your vocation? We don't have to collect a a special missions offering, although we certainly could. But every single dollar that you give in support of our ministry is missional. And maybe right now, you can't serve here as much as you would like. Don't fail to see how you are carrying forth Jesus' mission, how you are discipling others and yourself as you care for your elderly family members or as you make sure that you're caring for your children and fulfilling your work obligations. Our vocations allow us to live with more joy than guilt. And our vocations allow us to serve Jesus. I could go on and list more and more examples, but I pray that you see how Jesus' commission is not narrow in scope, but it is broad. It does take intentionality. It does take listening to Jesus say, go, and thinking about how we go in our vocations. It takes seeing your entire life in the context of a theological, biblical vocation and of Jesus' mission. Now, maybe you very quickly, because of your super sharp minds, saw through my little ruse at the beginning of the message. It might not have been so hypothetical. But who was serving God better or best? The pastor of the massive church? The super involved member? The one who flew to Nepal? Or the pastor of a smaller church? And the members there? They all were. They all were serving Christ and his mission in their vocation. Amen.